Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon, and today I have the most wonderful guest in the whole world. He's my best friend. I don't know where I'd be without him. An emotionally complex, beautiful man, an artist through and through. His name is Matt Madden. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. How are you, bro? What's going on? Thanks so much for having me, man. Thank you for having me. It means a lot. Yeah, of course, man. I'm just, I'm happy. This is our, technically, our inaugural episode of Sharing Feelings uh, happening right here, right now. And I'm so happy that you get to be my first guest, that my first sort of go through with this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that as long as we're together, (laughs) as long as we're together, everything's going to be okay. So I thought, you know, a good way to just start, just sort of give the listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where you come from, you know, how you grew up, your family, stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Matt Madden, as Chris said. I was born in New Jersey, first time born in New Jersey. I'm the first of two other siblings, which makes, you know, three kids for my parents. We moved after a couple of years to Danbury, Connecticut, probably when I was around five or so, and lived in Danbury for probably five or six years, something like that. And, you know, in my youth, I was, you know, involved in um, sports and, you know, Cub Scouts. Uh, my dad tried to get me involved in those sort of collaborative types of activities and I uh, played baseball and basketball and you know I think like every other young child soccer um, for a brief time um, but from a very early age my mother put me into piano in my elementary school in Danbury and I was always very musical I love to listen to music I love to sort of make music and with even little kind of like toddler piano toys and stuff like that and my mother had taken piano when she was young so she got me into that very early and soon after that I became infatuated with violin so I started taking violin probably second or third grade so I was you know learning about music and taking lessons with two instruments from an early age which I'm very thankful for to have that insight and to to be working in a musical way from, from a young age. And I also was singing in the choir when I was a young kid as well in elementary school. I was just, music was a big part of my life before I was even able to kind of like consciously understand the, the impact that it would have on me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so then I ended up in, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade, moving to Newtown, Connecticut, which is where my parents have been for about 15 years now. And pretty much, you know, from sixth grade all the way through high school where... I sort of had those formative years, and um, in that time, you know, I was, I was still sort of trying to find my way in. I still was attempting to play sports, even though I was extremely small for my age. I was, you know, not going through puberty, and my parents were very concerned, and all that the primary physician would say was, yeah, mix in some vegetables and fruit into smoothies, and that, that's how you'll make them grow. <laughs> and my mother was just not satisfied with that, so probably, I don't know, eighth grade or something like that, went to a bunch of doctors and realized that I had celiac disease, which is in its simplest form an, an intolerance to, to gluten, an allergy to it. So I went on a gluten-free diet. I grew eight inches in two years, and everything sort of happened very quickly. But because of my size, because of the fact that I was a very emotional kid, even from a young age, and being small and being emotional and sensitive 
in the public school system is a recipe for disaster, especially in those early ages where people haven't really found their niche when they aren't clicked out into their sports groups or you know, artistic groups or into their sort of respective circles, it can be a disaster. And, and it was for me a little bit. I was bullied heavily, and I remember, in, in sixth grade, pretty much through 10th grade. It was different people, some people that carried on consistently. Yeah, just, just, just bullied for being who I was, things that I, I couldn't control, my size, the fact that I was sensitive and all that. But then in 7th grade, no, 8th grade, my mom somehow convinced me to audition for the middle school musical, which was The Wizard of Oz, and I knew no other sort of musical song other than Seasons of Love from Rent to sing for my audition, and it was a cappella because, of course, no <laughs> one was playing the piano for anyone's middle school audition at the at, you know this public school. So I ended up auditioning. I ended up getting cast as the... Tin Man, and that was my first musical, my first stage uh, performance, and I became hooked. And literally from that point through my senior year of high school, there was never a time of year that I was not involved in a theatrical production. Wow. I found this passion. I found this group of people that accepted me and who loved me for who I was, and an activity that required my emotional capacity and my, my sensitivity to get by and also it, it craved that from the participants involved yeah and so i wonder i wonder that, you know how you know music from an early age having to be sort of already conscious of your body uh in the sense of its health and and what you needed to give it to to for it to operate you know in a healthy way in addition to joining theater and being so heavily involved in theater from an early age in those formative years, as you said, you know, I wonder how that just sort of like started to, to change who you were and, and how you responded to people that were bullying you or were not supporting you before, you know, we were sort of emotionally developed in a sense that we are now able to sort of process through all of how we feel and how we think. But at an early age, you know, could it be that being involved in the arts in that way, you know, sort of healed you or, or, or protected you? It definitely helped to heal me and protect me. I'd say both of those things because when I was involved in rehearsal, when I was around those people, everything else seemed to matter less because I saw that who I was was a direct effect on my ability to affect other people in those rehearsals or in those performance spaces. So when I would leave there, the power that came from who I was was so strong in those moments that when someone would mock me for it, it carried so much less weight because I knew that in 20 minutes or the next day, what someone was mocking me for was going to lead to success in another form. Right, form. right. You had that outlet to sort of take whatever positive or negative influence you had throughout the day and, and sort of shape it inside of yourself and emit it in a, in a positive way through a performance. I completely agree with you in the idea that like by giving that performance, you're sort of moving forward through emotions that you're having in your personal life. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And that's in large part why I love theater so much and how, truth be told, I do see a connection between theater and sports. You know, people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds coming together with one common goal, and there needs to be the sense of, like, brotherhood and collaboration to make something beautiful happen. And 
you know, a, a team and an ensemble, those two terms could be used interchangeably. Oh, 100%. So I, I remember mean... being in rehearsals and having either a director or a fellow cast member use the term team, whether it be ensemble or team, it didn't matter. And also the discipline that comes with being a creative person, you know, because it was very easy in, in public school. And, yeah, the stereotype holds up for people who were involved in sports to sort of mock those who were involved in theater, the sort of archaic idea that you're homosexual if you are, you know, involved in theater, which makes absolutely no sense. But, right, right. you know, I still don't know why that occurs. But No, totally. I'm, I'm glad because I think a part of me putting this together is to sort of expose those archaic old-fashioned ideas that are still, for whatever reason, very much present in our world today. And yeah, a lot of it is centered around that sort of like male rivalry or whatever, that there are some sort of better versions of men out there and that men should be doing certain things like playing sports and not doing theater. And I think it's silly because I have always thought from day one, because I grew up playing sports as well, that the similarities between sports and, and theater and all kinds of sort of entertainment in that way are so, so very connected. Um, like I was just watching the Eagles game last night and they didn't win, unfortunately, but like less than two minutes left and Wentz, Wentz just lobs up this like 50 yard pass and like oh, Aguilar catches Aguilar, it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, you know, there, are, there are magical moments happening um, in sports. I think in theater, I think anytime that you can put your whole self, all of your passion and feeling and, you know, hard work and talent into something, into anything, you know, that, that pays off in such a rewarding way. I think that's, you know, that's what I'm loving about your story right now is like the idea that no matter sort of what you pour yourself into, it, it has this promise, you know, to it. And, you know, it's so great that you found something that you connected with so deeply at such an early age. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that also brings me to something I just thought about that my grandfather, who's not around anymore, my, my mother's father was just enthralled with musical movies from, you know, the 50s and, and you know, the, the, the whole time period of Gene Kelly and Fred and Ginger Rogers, all of those beautiful movies, Summer Stock, Swinging in the Rain, and he would have me watch them with him. Mm. And from when I was very, very young, before even those moments that I talked about with taking the piano lessons and violin, he would watch them with me and tell me that he wanted me to tap lessons and that he would pay for me to take uh, tap lessons. Uh -huh. I'd be showing up with like my baseball cap and, and mitt. And my grandfather was also in love with sports. Yeah. But somehow he had this inclination about me and instilled that in me and before I was even conscious to kind of articulate it or, or understand it. And I think that also was a, was a big influence for me. But yeah. um, it was always music, cr creativity, uh, and kind of collaboration was were three you know, aspects, I guess, influence that, yeah. uh, that sort of culminated in me finding theater as that outlet and that passion. So then, yeah, just to wrap up a little bit, my, I guess my, my little life story, my little bio here, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I ended up getting accepted to what was and still is my, my dream school. I went to Ithaca College and, um, it was everything that I ever wanted. I remember visiting there and and seeing a show and meeting the people and turning to my mom and saying, Dad, I wish I got better grades. <laughs> I wish I, you know, I got better SAT scores. Like, I was so concerned that that was going to be the uh, deciding factor for me. But I, I was lucky enough to get in, and I met some amazing people there. I, I made some lifelong friends, and I, I got a chance to experience phenomenal theater. Yeah. Um, I got to study abroad in London 
and was exposed to the unparalleled uh, level of attention to artistic detail that that culture gives to the arts. Yeah. Um, especially because it's subsidized and taxpayers are giving it themselves to let art happen, uh, which wow. was an amazing experience uh, for me to see how much a culture can affect the arts. I'm in love with, with Ithaca. I mean, it's a place that I, and I could get emotional talking about it, I would, I would, I'm going to strive to have a home there. It's a truly a home away from home for me, and it became this place that I found love. But in a few words, when I first visited there, I loved the program, I loved the shows, but it was the people that told me I wanted, I, I wanted to, to go there. It was yeah. the people that I interacted with. I was around a collective group of people, artists, who were committed to giving so much of themselves and collaborating in a way that I miss so much. Yeah. Um, I think in, in a couple of words, it was the people and the act of collaboration. So moving forward, you know, you, you graduated and that, that time progressed into the next chapter of your life. And, you know, by far the best chapter, in my opinion, because that's how we met. <laughs> I had mentioned New London Barn Playhouse on my intro as being a special place to me still to this day. And like you said, a sort of home away from home like Ithaca. And I think that all started. I think those feelings of love and, and joy from that place started because I met you there back in 2015. And we had both just graduated and sort of came together at this magical, crazy place and put together all these shows with all these wild, amazing people and fell in love with our craft even more and with each other, I think, in a certain way. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's strange. When I think of our relationship, I think of what it is now, and I think of meeting you, but it's hard for me to imagine us not being as close as we are. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine a time where I didn't have you in my life. So it's sort of like I blink and we're here. Totally. Um, I can't really dictate how we started to become closer and closer you know, in that summer, but it was a lot of sitting out on a roof, you know, talking about our feelings and, and yeah. life and yeah, our well, thoughts I think, about the universe. And Yeah, I think we found out really quickly you know, just whether we were looking for it or not or whether we were even capable of identifying it you know, 100%, but we were both people who wanted to sit down and talk and figure out how we were feeling and why we were feeling that way. And I think we became obsessed with what was to come and the future and how we could better ourselves and, and put ourselves in the best possible situation moving forward. And I think, at least for me, having you as a sort of reflector or somebody that I could bounce off of made processing through how I felt and what I thought a lot easier for me and I think that started to grow the relationship more and more over time. Absolutely and and I I talk about you to, to many people in my life and I sort of dictate that I never felt like I, I had that sort of friendship before before meeting you. Totally. Um, something about the way that we clicked to a very core level mm -hmm. um, I never had before and I, I don't know what I would do without you and I I'm so grateful that I took that position because there was a period of time where I was questioning doing it. And yeah. um, the universe brought me to you and, and my relationship with you and having someone that will not judge me for my emotional process and will not judge me for sometimes laboring over certain emotions or, you know, my process and delving into my feelings will always be there to lean on and to listen. And I think that 
when you described to me your mission for this podcast, why I was so interested to be a part of it is it felt like an extension of conversations we, we have together and to allow already and to allow other men to, to feel like they can have a platform to emotionally process and, and lean on other men without feeling like they need to put on this masculine front or they need to sniff up their, their tears and, and all that and, and, and push it in. Absolutely, it yeah. It's it so important it, you know, to know that what it means to be human has absolutely nothing to do with your gender. But I think that what attracts me personally so much to telling other people's stories or a character's story or acting in general is this idea of, of sacrifice and this idea that in order to embody somebody else or embody someone else's life, feelings, emotions, tragedy, whatever it may be, it takes someone who has the ability to feel so strongly about and for others and embody their feelings, their pain, to break through into that character, break through into that story. And I had a lot of directors and teachers who always told me you have to see the positive in them because a lot of people, when they're doing something that they feel strongly about, that they are passionate about, they truly, to their core, believe that it's the right thing for them, that it's the right thing for the people that they care about. So, so right. and, I might and... not support you know, what someone chooses to do, but if I don't find my way in by having empathy or by embodying their feelings and emotions, I can't do it. But I think we couldn't be passionate or involved in a better industry to, to, to feel so strongly, you right. know, to, to, be, to, to want to tell stories whether it be through music, through text, it's important that we feel this way, I think. Totally. And I think in addition to that, what you were speaking about, embodying a character and, and truly understanding you know, how they think and feel and believing it for yourself, I think what makes a great actor, what makes a great human being is the practice and ability to cultivate those feelings and thoughts and support them within yourself you know you have to be this open vessel this understanding compassionate person for yourself as a person before you can sort of identify those things in a character or you can identify those things in a friend or a partner or another human being i think the the practice of exploring who you are and being open to whatever you may find and then giving it time to digest and for yourself to comprehend and articulate, you know, by doing all of that, we're creating this open, loving, accepting person in this world that is then able to go out and make those connections with characters in a play or make those connections with other human beings in an open and honest and loving way. And I think sometimes we get caught in the process of doing that, or even even more sometimes we focus all of our energy on trying to love and support and be there for other people, and we forget that it takes equal, if not more, work to do it for ourselves. Yeah, and I think that, you know, to, to give the audience a little bit of context, I have recently gotten to a place where I am living more for not only the moment, but for others in my life, whether it be my loved ones or my friends, because there was a long period of time where I was acting incredibly selfishly. Um, and I think it was based on the work that I've done uh, for myself in the past three some odd years, the attention to myself and growing that I've given. I realized that I was living in a selfish way, not putting others first, acting on my insecurities, 
you know, acting on my fears and hurting those in, you know, in, in my past. And it sort of took a, a tragedy, you know, in, in my life and a change of course where I, I made some mistakes, mistakes that got brought up from my past and a little bit of my present that ended up resulting in a little tumultuous uh, legal situation, which is resolved now, but it puts me in the position where I am now. Um, I'm back, you know, in Connecticut living with my parents. I'm dealing with some restrictions that come along with the results of that legal situation, one of them being having to be on probation. And in that time, I have developed an intense amount of gratitude and lived in a way where I'm being honest with myself and others and seeing the benefits that come from thinking of how my actions will have direct effect on those who care about me. And I think if you start by living for yourself selfishly, I think it's a lot harder, if not impossible, to do that in the opposite way and find your way back around to living for, for others. I think the way it truly works, that, that kind of cycle, is by reaching outward to then have it reach right back inward again. Because you need, you can't, you can't do this life alone. Yeah. And if you try to, you'll find failure, which for me, um, I, I failed in many ways. And I, through that failure, I have found ways to move forward and not fail in the same ways again. Absolutely. I mean, um, definitely. And, and first, you know, thank you for sharing a little bit. I think, you know, so yeah. often we go through this life meeting other people we don't know or, or see and, you know, we form opinions about them. And, and a lot of the time we're unaware of the different tragedies that they go through, the pain that they go through, uh, the, the sense of loss, um, loss of self, loss of loved ones. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, moving forward in a positive way. I think the sense that life is a linear pattern, you know, a straight path and point A leads to point B to C and is sort of old news, you know, in a sense that we are sort of just living and our life comes down to a series of choices and the importance of what shapes a life is the significance of it is how we respond, you know, once those choices are made and how we make new decisions beyond that. And I think so often people, men, in general, can sometimes get trapped in this loop of making the same decisions over and over again because that's what's comfortable or that's what's known. I know so many people that sometimes make the wrong decisions over and over again because at least they've been down that path of wrong before. And I think, you know, something else... Because it feels comfortable, it feels safe. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, fear is, you know, our greatest challenge in, in this life, um, overcoming fear and stepping into a future or, or, or a path that, you know, we can't see the end of, or we can't see in front of our, you know, in front of our noses and moving forward anyway, because we trust ourselves and we love ourselves and we believe in ourselves. And so sort of like a little tag thing that I'm trying to work on with, with this podcast is the idea of awareness, action, change. And so once we become aware of ourselves like as emotional beings capable of complex thoughts and feelings we move through that awareness into thoughts into action and ultimately overcoming fear into into change and into growth and moving forward 
into our next set of decisions and challenges and starting the process all over again. And I think the reason that we're so connected, you and I, is because we both challenge each other and ourselves to constantly be staring our challenges, our fears in the face, contemplating who we are, who we want to be, and doing some real legwork, active legwork to overcome and to develop and to grow into new, better versions of ourselves. I agree. And I think that people in general, men, you know, women, anybody, they, they don't give themselves enough credit for the ability that we all have in ourselves to change and, and to find new rhythms and new loops because it's, it's possible. If you, if you sometimes, at least for me, I needed this jolt of reality, this sort of tragedy, this, this change of course to become a better man because mm-hmm. I, I feel today that I'm in the best emotional place I feel like I'm living my life as my best self. And, you know, the irony of it is I'm not on the path that I thought I was going to be on at this point when I was in college. Where I thought I would be right now in 2019 is miles away from where I thought I would be. And in the most ironic way, it's right where I'm supposed to be because of how emotionally stable I am and because of the the values that I now have, and it's because of my choices, and it's because of what has happened to me, and, and I, I own my choices. I own my mistakes. I love that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to invite that tragedy is what solves everybody's problems, or if you don't experience, if you don't make these large mistakes, you're not going to be able to find your best self or change. I think it's all about how you, how you handle tragedy or, or how you handle your mistakes. You know, in, in my time when I was when I was struggling a couple of years ago emotionally and feeling very very lonely, I sought out this um, incredible you know, Buddhist philosopher named Thich Nhat Hanh, who wrote has written many books, but one of them that sort of changed my life was called No Mud, No Lotus. And the lotus flower grows out of shit pretty much. It grows out of dirt, you know, vile sort of subject, vile sort of bacteria, and it blooms this gorgeous flower. And his whole theory about the universe and life is that you can't have a life without pain and without love acting in, you know, in tandem with each other because there is no world where, where there's just peace. There is no world that there, where there's just war. You have to have them both live in tandem and be able to balance them, learn from each, to have them live, live together, the yin and the yang. And I think recognizing that is important. Um, it, it, it makes it so you can put more focus on the positive because we're all struggling and we're all trying to find that positivity and in that way if we recognize it, i think we can help each other find it together that's what you've done for me thank you Um, man you know you too yeah totally i mean i think you know one thing we can count on is that life doesn't always work out the way that we expect it to something that i process through a lot myself is the concept of expectations versus reality and i think that especially when we're young, especially young men, I feel, have this such a concrete set idea of who they want to be, what they're going to accomplish, how they're going to do it. And I think one of the first troubles we run into as young adults and into adulthood is recognizing that what we think is going to happen doesn't always come out to play. And in fact, I think, you know, and I don't want to speak too generally, but most of the time where we end is nowhere close to where we thought we were going to. And in terms of each juncture in our path, 
And I think that's one of our first struggles as adults is to to realize that we have to shift and be flexible and adapt and change and scrap ideas completely and put them down on a fresh piece of paper. And that's why I love creating with you and the idea that we want to sit down right away and write the best song ever written. But I think what it really, you know, we've talked about this before, what it really takes is just the consistent effort to write and to create that one day will culminate in what may be the greatest song ever written. And I think that... Exactly. You know, and, and and I, you know, I think that that's a great point to bring up creatively because I definitely was concerned with, in the past, I, I'd say, you know, like three years ago or, in, you know, when I was in college, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to create the, the best song or be, you know, involved one day in the best movie or, you know, the most memorable this, the most memorable that. And I was less concerned, I guess, with the, the, the process of, of getting there or creating. And um, this great sort of theory and advice that I got from, uh, I'll you know, mention another book that I read, which is called The, uh, the Artist's Way, Julie Cameron, is that her goal with this whole process of this artistic journey through this book is that there is never a right time to create. The glass of water doesn't need to be an inch to the right. It needs to be 3 a.m. and... and you know, be completely pitch black. You don't need to set the scene as a creative person. Her goal for, for every artist is to know that we're in this constant state of openness to be able to create. And that's where I feel with my, my journey, where I am now, I am focusing a lot more on my creation of original music. You know, I think I'm creating these songs and creating this music with less of a concern about the end result and there, it's flowing out of me in a way that maybe one day a, a hit song or, or a song that might uh, put me in a different direction might happen but I won't be aware of it and that'll be that'll make it that much more special because I'm just creating and creating and creating without any expectation. Right, we always hear that the age old saying of like a life is not about the destination, it's about the journey or something like that. And uh, in, journey, yeah. in theater, we hear it's all about the process, you know, the end result is less important. Yeah. And I think it, there's a, a lot of value in that. And I think if we if we take it uh, in a more umbrella spectrum of the idea that who we are as people and, and how we operate in this world as, as, as a whole person, even outside of, you know, our creations and our profession and stuff like that, it takes that sort of understanding that life is about the step-by-step process. If we focus too much on where we want to go or where we want to be, the disappointment or the failure is seen as a negative rather than accepting failure, accepting disappointment as a positive and using it as more fuel to propel yourself into a new place in your life yeah i think we're constantly in a state of of uh, process i think we can't look at life or accomplishment as wanting to get to an end goal because once something closes once something ends you're 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 on to something different and that's why i think in a life or in for your creative process you know everything is is just a long process nothing is ever really beginning or ending it's always just moving forward you know you can't stop time or try and catch up with it just have to live within it 
and as a you know teacher of mind college used to say you know live in the question live in that moment and live in that don't ask the question live in it right you know don't don't get so far as to question everything just live in that in that state before you ask the question because you know life is what's happening when you are waiting for the next thing right and i i think you know you'd mentioned playing your music live which you know, I was lucky enough to see the other night, and it was such a special experience for me. One, on one hand, knowing you, you know, for many years, and and getting to sort of see what you've been working on, and and see you share that with other people that I don't know, and you know, was very special to like watch you perform as it always is. On one hand, and on the other hand, just to see a real life example of of taking all that you've been through, all you've discovered about yourself, putting it down on paper in the form of words and notes and you know using yourself as a vessel to sort of explain to these people that are listening you know to sort of showcase you know how you feel how you process through your feelings and your thoughts in in a musical way that makes it so relatable and and we were hanging with some of your work friends afterwards and I just thought it was so interesting and made me laugh and that one of them Sal uh, was saying how, you know, you make him smoke cigarettes, um, which is funny because obviously he's been smoking his whole life probably. But like in the sense that like I think what he, he meant was that because you're so aware of how you think and how you feel and the practice that you do every day to sort of express yourself and to understand yourself and how you process through your emotions, that translated in a way through your music that hit his soul you know maybe he couldn't put words to it maybe he couldn't identify exactly what it was but it allowed him for a moment to feel so deeply that he needed to go grab a cigarette because he didn't know how to respond to these honest feelings <laughs> and, that he that were bubbling up inside to of give, him <laughs> to give context the song is called on the edge of the cigarette. So <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. and that's but yes, in his way of processing it, you know, he, he could have talked to me about how it made him feel, but he reached, you know, it didn't feel something so strongly, which was wanting to smoke more. I, I appreciate that, but that's the way that he expressed his, um, that, that jolt of energy that I guess hopefully the song gave him. But, yeah, and that's, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of art. That's the beauty of just sharing yourself with other people, I think, in the sense that even if it is for a moment, it doesn't have to be for hours. It doesn't have to be every day. As we start this process of understanding ourselves as emotional beings, all it takes is a moment every so often to connect with something deeper within yourself, to connect below the surface. And, you know, I think one of the main reasons we found ourselves living in the arts is because music and theater and the expression that goes along with it is such an honest and pure form of being able to attach ourselves to a deep moment, being able to express ourselves with something that we couldn't put words to. And so it came out in other ways, in movement, in song, in this and that. And so, you know, so presently that you were able to connect with another human being even without having a conversation. And I think that's what I want to share with the world, you know, and that's why I'm so happy that we're talking and giving people a chance to listen because anybody's capable of it. You know, Sal is how old? I don't know, you know, a much older man. And here we are in our 20s, you know, and I'm feeling that 
these connections can happen regardless of age and time and gender and you know sexual preference or cultural upbringing or anything you know it's all that we all fall under like you said earlier the umbrella of being a human being and that's the only thing that matters absolutely i just bought a martin and uh it's you know, it was uh, expensive, but I, I thought it was an investment in, in myself. And I started playing guitar about three years ago, and there was a guitar that was in, in my parents' house, and my, I guess my, my mom had bought my sister, and she never really had time to, to play it, but it was sort of, you know, it was a nice sort of fender, but I'm sure only a couple hundred bucks. But I started playing it, I started writing songs on it, and then I wanted to buy my own guitar, and I ended up just sticking with Fender, and I, I bought another one that had a pickup system in it and was a little bit of an upgrade, but it had a lot of, you know, sort of issues. The bridge recently cracked, and it had a sentimental value to me, and I was you know, thinking about either trading it in or you're getting it, you know, repaired, but I didn't want to uh, ruin the, the, the sentiment of it, and then I was having a conversation with you, and I said, you know what, like, I'm just going to buy this other guitar that I want, and I'll pay it off slowly, or I'll pay it out outright with, you know, whatever I have to do, but I need to take this step and know that there are things that I can hold on to, but that that small testament of feeling like I was stuck with something old, feeling like I didn't know what to do because, oh, maybe I should keep playing it, and I've only had it for five months, so I, I want to you know hold on to it and, and keep it close to me. I, I can do that, but I can also take a step forward and invest in myself for the future and know that there are things that, I have love and that I have cherished, but sometimes maybe they do need to be thrown out or sometimes I need to take a step in a different direction. And it was just a, an overhanging tone of the life I've been living for myself. You know, about seven or eight months ago, I um, a relationship I was in for a very long time ran its course. It, it wasn't something that, you know, I was open to in the moment, but in the time that I've been separated from this person, I have grown immensely and I've started to appreciate my independence more and, and I have felt a sense of more positivity. And it doesn't have a direct correlation to being away from this individual because this person and I have continued to stay in contact and are developing a strong friendship together. So it's not a correlation as some might think that, oh, that person's out of my life, I'm, I'm happier. It doesn't really have that sort of correlation. It's, it's broader than that. It's this idea that a relationship that we had together needed to kind of move in a different direction and change from a romance to something else for me to, to feel, you know, in this place. And, and it's less, I got the cord and I, I, you know, I feel happy without this person. That, that, that's not the case. And that person knows that because I've expressed it to them. But again, this idea of comparing it to this guitar, the guitar, broke or it doesn't play as well and i don't need to completely trash it but i also don't need to hold on to it so desperately my relationship with it can change and i can approach something different with a new perspective and it's just that tone that tone of not feeling so stuck and i felt very stuck for a long time as you know mm-hmm. and i've been able to recently feel better about letting time carry me like a wave you know mm-hmm. letting letting it just flow with me and I'm flowing on top of it instead of trying to run away from it. That's 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 well said, I think, because you know, sitting here listening to your great stories and and thinking, you know, how you know, there's a part of me that wishes, and I said this from the beginning, wishes that we could just sit here and talk and explain to the listener, you know, this is step 
one through five of the program of how to move forward in a positive way. You know, if you do this, you will be successful in analyzing your emotions and being happy all the time. And I don't think it's ever really that simple, but to think of life and opportunities and disappointments and everything that's included in them as a sort of wave in the ocean, you know, it's a beautiful metaphor in the sense that everything has a beginning, everything has an ending, and our responsibility comes in how we ride it, you know, and how we let it carry us. And I think the thing that I love and, you know, the the countless conversations we've had where we're both just like yelling and screaming into the phone because we're so excited about something that is firing up inside of us and taking those moments as often as we can to explore what makes us tick, what makes the motor run, you know, how we can ride that wave as smoothly as possible having people in your life like that to bounce ideas off of or even having a piece of paper to bounce those ideas off of without any judgment is how we sort of move forward in a positive way amidst the tragedies amidst the the difficulties I think the thing that I love and respect about you so much is that you're right in in the middle of this great enormous epic of a challenge in your life and yet you're fighting constantly. And I say fighting not in a negative way, but in, a, in an active way. You're fighting to, oh, yeah. you know, to move through it, to ride it, to let it carry you. And your position in all of this comes in how you are responding and how you are taking a new version of yourself and forming it to be even greater and even better and being flexible and adapting to change and and growing in in an active present way each day and I think that is something that I admire that I know everybody listening will admire because that's really all it takes and to never give up which is also one of the first things I noticed about you is that tattoo on your arm that says strong it's a beautiful little piece of art because it just it reminds you but it reminds everybody that we never surrender Absolutely. I completely agree. You can't let life or negativity sort of overcome you to the point of not letting yourself experience the, the here and the now because I want, you know, I want to give the listener and just everybody the, the, the testament that, you know, gratitude has saved my life. Being grateful for the smallest of things, the things that I love unabashedly are what keeps my life feeling light and feeling important. And it's the smallest things. It's being able to, to come home and watch a baseball game either by myself or, or with my dad or being able to sit and play my guitar or, you know, it, it's, it's the smallest of things that the hustle and bustle, which I'm sure living in, in, a, in a busy city, living in New York and, and living in a lifestyle that is a little bit more sporadic in terms of uh, your job situation and traveling and, and, being, and not knowing what's going to happen next. With my lifestyle right now, I, I kind of yearn for that. You know, the grass is always greener, but I'm living a little bit more of a consistent schedule, which right now I, I have found a lot of love for. I'm grateful for what I have, and I'm grateful for being able to exist in the world each day. It's the truth that the simplest of things I have found gratitude for, and it lifts me up. I think that's a great little tidbit is the sense of gratitude. And I think living in a metropolis, you know, especially in New York City, you're challenged to do even more work for yourself on a regular basis to to recognize the simplicity of life and the joy of gratitude and the necessity of it. And because it's so easy to get lost in the rapid sort of sporadic craziness that is 
developing around you to sort of just be swallowed up by that noise. But I think it does take just the simple joy of gratitude, of, of thanking the people around you that, that show you love and support, of thanking yourself for getting out of bed today and, and for striving for something better and for loving yourself. You know, it's those little things along the way that, that can fuel us so that when something amazing, spectacular happens, we know how to deal with it so that when something devastating, terrible tragedy happens, we know how to piece together ourselves again and move forward in a positive way. Exactly. I think that what you just said we were talking about recently, that gratitude helps in equipping us to deal with and process through tragedy and not turning to vices, not turning to destructive behavior and being able to turn to people that you know will be there for you and turn to places in yourself that you know are positive and constructive. And, you know, I'm completely off social media. I haven't had social media in a very long time. So my main source of communicating with people is by giving them a phone call, sending them a text, and being grateful for getting a response or for having a moment, whether it be 10 minutes, just to talk on the phone and and to connect. Okay, so I developed this idea. I'm calling it Sharon's Closing Questions. Just a few questions to end this episode. So anyway, first question is, what is one word just one word you would use as a synonym for love? Hmm. Elaboration. I love that. Another question. What is one aspect of your personality that you are proud of and one you want to improve? I am incredibly proud of my passion and my intensity towards the things, people, art that I love, that I runs the blood through my veins. It's something that, again, at times I was mocked for or or bullied for when I was young, but it has shaped into an aspect of my personality that I'm proud of, and I think others enjoy being around. So I think I'm proud of that, my passion and my intensity. And something I think I want to improve upon, maybe sort of romanticizing things, people, and in that same way, jumping too quick to assess or judge. I don't think I'm a judgmental person, but I think I think I need to slow my pace down in that aspect. And, you know, it's, I think I'm average at that, but I definitely would like to improve. All right, great. Another another good question. What are three defining words that make up a man to you? I would say, and, and this is, you know, something that is new, newfound for me and that I, I'm proud of and I think is very important for men honesty. I think honesty is number one. I think love, you have to have an, you know, an immense amount of, of love inside for your passions, for people, other individuals, love to, you know, to explore. I think it's important to be an emotional man, and I think you have to have love to be mm-hmm. emotional. So I think honesty, love, and hope. That's well said. A perfect way to sort of put a nice close on this conversation because I know we'll have many, many more. Again, thank you, Matt Madden, so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and your feelings, and I look forward to what is to come for you and for both of us together. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here.
Yeah, thank you for, for having me. And I think that this whole project is an incredible platform to uh, remind, you know, men today that we have, you know, anxieties, we feel uh, sad, depressed, but if we don't talk about it, if we don't express it with other men and feel that it's okay to feel these things and to feel weak, there's no way that we can feel strong. So I, I am so grateful to be a part of this project. So thank you so much for, for having me, man. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. My name is Chris Sharon. This is Sharon Feelings. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.